all the way to the very front cover. Genesis 3 and Genesis 2. I've been under the weather for a few days. If you see me out in the four-year fist bumping or hugging everybody, I was using lots of hand sanitizer if I did shake your hand. But you might want to use some more if I shook your hand. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I really I started feeling under weather about Thursday when God gave me this message. And I started preparing. I'm a little hot up here today. <clears throat> Not air-conditioning-wise either, mic-wise. Y'all give our sound guy a big hand. Honey, he do a great job? You know, sound men in a church tend to get a bad rap. We, uh, we, give, them a hard, we give them a hard time. Jeff's one of those guys. He's just one of the greatest guys in the world and just wants to serve God with all of his heart and does a great job week in and week out. And David, he just gets better and better every week, doesn't he? He's just phenomenal. David, thank you for all your work, hard work. David's our band leader, and uh, him and Pastor and Pastor Jennifer uh, run our praise and worship, and uh, what a great job they do. Uh, they work really, really hard, and uh, just want to tell them thank you this morning. So I'm going to talk a little slower probably than I normally do this morning, but um, I have a great message, and uh, it's called Shame. And I want to talk about shame. It's the one thing nobody ever wants to talk about is shame. And I'm going to talk today about why it is lethal in your life. Why shame is the one thing that can kill you. Why shame is probably the oldest, the oldest spirit that you will see in the Bible just about. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that your spirit is here with me today walking with me. I thank you that it would be your voice today, not my own. Speak to your people today, Father. What you want to do in a church this week, Father, do it in our church. What you want to do with a people this week, Father, do it with our people. And Father, I thank you that today walls would come down in lives. And it says, Father, where your spirit is, there is freedom. I speak freedom over each and every one of your people today, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, make sure you like our Facebook page today. If you haven't done that, check in at Triumph Angleton. Make sure you do that because the more likes we get, the more people see us. Uh, The more exposure we get, the faster we can grow and the more things we can do for God. And uh, so make sure you like our page on Facebook. Also, we have a new website. And used to, you punch in, punch in churches in Angleton, we'd come one of the first pages up. Now, if you punch in churches in Angleton, we're going to be one of the last because we've switched web pages and West Hose, uh, web hosts and web servers. So do me a favor. This week, make sure on purpose, go to our, our web page four or five times. It's triumphchurchangleton.com or triumphchurch.com slash backslash Angleton, I think it is. Go to our webpage as many times as you can this week. Just visit our webpage over and over and over again. Just if you think about it, just visit it. And we need to get our likes up there. We need to get our visits up there so that our exposure becomes bigger in our community. Because we want to, how many of y'all love our church? I love my church. And uh, so I want when people Google churches in Angleton and in South Houston, I want our webpage to come up first. Because I believe we have something to offer for those in our community. 
also, we're doing a thing right now for Easter. If you have a testimony of something great God's done in your life in the past year and a half, make sure you go to our, our Facebook page and just say, hey, pastor, I have a testimony. I'd love to give it to you and share it with you, and we might use it on a video for Easter. So if you have one of those, make sure you use it and uh, you, you notify us about it. Also, we have invite cards at the Connect Desk for each and every one of your friends. How many of you know we're nearing Easter? And uh, we have what we call the CEO Christians or the C&E Christians, the Christmas and Easter Christians, or the Christmas and Easter only Christians. And we want to make sure that they come experience triumph this Easter season. So grab you a handful of those invite cards on your way out the door today and start inviting people to church. Start early. And... Uh, Make sure you tell everybody, hey, if you don't have a church for Easter, if you don't have a church to go to for Easter, I have a great church that I love, and it's called Triumph. How many know that in the Easter season is a special season? And it's a proven fact that 8 out of 10 people that you invite during the Easter season to church will come with you. It is a higher number than any other time of the year. So it's a great time of year to get your loved ones and your friends that you know need Jesus. And how many of y'all know people that really need Jesus in a new way? And so it's a great time of the year. You know, you're having problems with a coworker at work. Don't get mad at them. Fight them to church. Let them get where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. There's liberty. Get them set free so you don't have to deal with them no more. I'm serious. Invite them to church. What better way to get them, get them involved? Is everybody in Genesis now? Genesis 3, chapter 1. Let's get started. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now, the serpent was shrewd. He knew what he was doing. He knew that there was but one tree they couldn't touch in that garden. He knew exactly what that tree was. But he starts off with this question just to get his foot in the door. And he says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And Eve goes, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it or you will die. The serpent goes, woman, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will become like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, we all know the devil's a liar, but he uses small truths to encapsulate us or to entrap us in our lives. And I want you to listen to these small truths in this, verb, in this verse. He said, God knows that your eyes will be opened. Not a truer statement, he's, he said. And then he says, as soon as you eat it, you will be like God. See, knowing good and evil. He made her think that she would be as God or just like God. She didn't know that you're going to be like God just knowing good and evil. And in this verse, 
he grabs her mind. He grabs some, some interest in her. And the woman was convinced, it says, and she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now I want you to turn back real quick to Genesis 2.25. Before this ever happened. It says, now the man and his wife were both naked. But they felt no, say it with me, shame. They felt no shame. There was no shame in their game. Everything was good until they disobeyed what God had told them not to do. Had no shame in their game. See, where there is no sin, there is no shame. Now, I'm not saying that, that that applies to every circumstance in your life because people deal with shame every day. There's people that have been abused. There's people that have been manipulated. There's people that have been taken advantage of. And those are other people's sin. See, not just, not just your sin causes shame in your life, but other people's sin can also cause shame in your life. And shame's one of those things that we don't want to talk about. We just want to push it into a closet and we want to hide it. In Genesis 3, 8 through 17, let's see how the father responds to their sin. So when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And the man replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Or, or I think even a better way to put this was, he should have said, I was afraid because I was ashamed. See, because we see naked referring to that word shame. Before, they were unashamed. After, they were ashamed. He said, I hid God because I'm ashamed. I know what I've done, and I know it is right. Whether I'm going to admit to it or not, it's a different story. But I hid because I was ashamed. See, he didn't want to admit he was ashamed. He didn't want to admit he had messed up. So instead of saying, I hid because I'm ashamed, he said, I hid because I'm naked. See, God knew what had already happened. He, he knew what was going on. And then the man replied, well, God replied, he said, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Don't you hate it when your parents ask you a question when you know you're in trouble? Like, who ate the last brownie? Or, uh, or better yet, uh, who spilt, who broke the glass in the kitchen, didn't clean it up? And you know that they know you did it because you're the only kid at home. And they ask you the question, well, God, God knows they're guilty. He's just a good parent, you know. He's just a normal parent. Who, who told you you were naked? 
Who told you this? And so the man replied, you know, here, here's the man's replied. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. You know, the first thing we do when we get in trouble is we want to blame somebody else. Hey, wives, have your husband ever, has your husband ever blamed you for something that wasn't your fault? Pastor Jennifer, have I ever blamed you? Yeah, she's raising her hand. And uh, it was the woman you gave me. But it goes deeper than that. If I was God, I might have killed him on the spot. See, because he wasn't, he wasn't blaming the woman. That's where we all mess this scripture up. In other words, he said, God, it's your fault. It was the woman you gave me. You gave me. It's your fault I ate from that tree. He blamed God. God, it's your, you ever blame God for something going on in your life? Well, things ain't going right in my life today. God, it's your fault. You know, I'm mad at my church today. You'd have never brought me to that place. I wouldn't be mad at so-and-so that goes there today. Or, or, God, if you wouldn't have gave me her and let me meet her, we wouldn't be having these problems today. That's what Adam's saying. God, it's your fault. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? He asked another question. Don't you love it? Ain't y'all ever ask your kids questions? I do ask my kids questions all the time. And I get stupid answers. Like, Austin, where are your pants at? I don't know. You don't know where your pants you had on five minutes ago were? They're on the floor right in front of you, and you're going to say, I don't know. Kobe's just glad I'm talking about Austin today. <laughs> Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And she immediately blames the serpent. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. That's why I did it. I didn't, I didn't eat it because I wanted to be like you, God. I ate it because the serpent told me to do it. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. I don't know about you, but I, I haven't met many women that aren't scared of a snake. There's, there's been hostility there from the beginning of time. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in your pain you will give birth. Anybody experience pain at childbirth? It was really painless for me. I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> I'm glad she ate the fruit first. Uh, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. I could ask another question here, but i got to go home with her today. And to the man, he said, since you've listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you, and all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. I tell you, I used to, I used to build swimming pools for a living, and uh, digging in dirt was not easy work. Now, man is smart. We've invented a lot of great machines. 
but there's still handwork that's got to be done. And there's nothing easy about it. There ain't a farmer in the world that don't earn every penny that he makes from sunup to sundown. What I find interesting in verse 8, in the cool of the evening breezes, it says they heard God walking about in the garden. See, he knew they messed up. It don't say God ran into the garden and said, boy, where are you at? Don't say any of that. It don't say God got mad and he smote them. It doesn't say, look, this is how we should respond to our children. This is how we should correct people. This is, this is how it's supposed to work. God still loved them. He knew they messed up before he got there. It says he waited to the cool of the evening. I don't know, maybe he wanted to freeze their naked honeys off. I don't know. But he waited to the cool of the evening, and he walked into the garden. And he says, where are you? He was looking for them, not just to correct them. We know there's consequences with sin. God, Yeah, there's consequences when you mess up. But God's not looking there to strike you. He's not looking there at that point in your life to hurt you. So many times the first thing we do when we mess up and shame comes over us is we quit going to church. We run from God. We turn to the devil for answers instead of turning to him. We go to the bar. That beer will solve my problems. No, it will not. We run, all, we run to all the other things in life saying, Fix me, help me, when God's walking in the cool of the evening, saying, where are you? Just wants to love us. Just wants to care for us. Just wants us to say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. Just wants to show us grace. Just wants to show us favor. Just wants to love us. I have learned in my life when my kids mess up, I try not to correct them on the spot. First of all, I don't want to go to jail. Second of all, I know it's not healthy in anger to correct anybody. Now, there's times in the car I just want to turn around. I'm driving. And you just want to do that. And there's times some of that may be just a little bit necessary. But I've learned it works a lot better when I say, we'll talk about your punishment when we get home. And it may be a whipping, but I'm not going to do it in anger. Because nothing good comes out of anger. See, anger is a spirit too. And anger... And fear, it said they hid because they were what? They were afraid and they were, they were ashamed. They were angry. Fear and shame go hand in hand. When you start getting afraid of something, it might be something you're ashamed of. The two run. They're, they're running buddies. They run hand in hand with each other. They, they operate with each other. They walk with each other. They go with each other. They're friends. You know, misery loves company. Those two run together. 
God knows where we're at at all the time. In Psalms 139, 1 through 2, it says, O Lord, you have searched me, knowing me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. He knows my thoughts from afar. He knows when I sit down. He knows when I stand up. He knows when I mess up. He knows everything about me, but, but yet he is still there. Spirit of shame does several things in your life. First, it causes you to hide from God. Second, it causes you to be afraid of God. Thirdly, it changes your perspective. Verse 11 says, who told you you were naked? Their eyes were open. The devil didn't lie to them. It changed their perspective of how they saw themselves. It changed their perspective of, of who they were. A spirit of shame makes you want to blame someone else. It wants you to make excuses. It makes you want to blame God. It makes you want to hide from God. It makes you want to get as far away as you can from God. got me is they weren't even repentant they didn't even ask for forgiveness they they passed the blame and just kept going on the sin was more than just eating a piece of fruit the sin the sin they did it was love of self it was pride the snake said you can be like god the the sin was they dishonored god their creator the guy who made them, they knew he was God. They knew he was greater than the serpent. They were disobedient. Let me tell you where we get in trouble. And you can write this down. You can put this one on Facebook. This is a quote for all quotes right here. You ready for it? They, you want to know why they got in trouble? They preferred the voice of the creature over the voice of the creator in their life that's when you get in trouble when you get when you start listening to the created and you start listening to the creatures in your life over listening to the creator that's in your life that's when we get in trouble that's when we know nasa we have a problem houston there are issues is when we listen to anything or anyone other than the creator in our life to make life decisions and that moves us forward. Number four, it was a sin of they ate their tithe. Think about it like this. The tithe is holy to God. It's the one thing that's set apart in our life. The one thing. All the other trees in the garden, they could eat of. One tree, it was their tithe to God. One tree, God told them, you cannot touch. It is holy. It is set apart. It is for me only. You do not touch it, and you do not eat from it. And they did it anyway. And it released a spirit of shame in them. Verse 21, I love this verse. They had sin in their life. 
They, they blamed God for their mistake. They blamed the serpent for their mistake. They blamed everybody but themselves. And what does God do? It says he made clothes for them out of their own skin. We serve such a great God that shows so much grace, so much love, so much mercy in our life. All he wants to do is to love you. There was no evil intent in anything God did in the garden. He gave them consequences. But he was standing right there wanting to love them, wanting to provide for them. Like, you, you, you've grounded your kids before. You've given them consequences before, but you still love them. You still provide for them. We serve a good, loving God that loves us with all of his heart. And all he wants is the best for us. That's why he doesn't want sin in our life. Every sin is the same. Three things sin that, that make sin the same in every area of our life. First, it starts with an outward object of attraction. Every sin starts with an outward object of attraction. We look at something and we say, I want that or I want to do that. Every sin is the inward commotion of our mind. After we see it, we start thinking about it. We start dwelling on it. Well, that looks good, or that looks good, or, you know, that really won't hurt me. That really won't have that bad of a consequence in my life. It looks fun. It looks good. And then number three, it's the increase in the triumph of a passionate desire. The desire wins a place in your life. Every sin ends in three things. It ends in ends in degradation, it ends in slavery, and it ends in ruin of the soul. In James 1, 13 through 15, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God himself cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires, just like we talked about, and enticed. Then when his desire has conceived in his mind, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Psalms 1 through 6 in the message, it says, How well God must like you. You don't hang out at sin saloons. You don't slink along dead end roads. I love the message Bible. You don't go to Smart Mouth College. Hear that voice? Instead, you thrill to God's word. You chew on scripture day and night. You're a tree replanted in Eden, bearing fresh fruit every month, never dropping a leaf, always in blossom. You're not at all like the wicked, who are mere blown dust, without defense in court, unfit company for innocent people. God charts the road you take. The road they take is skid row. I don't want to take skid row. I want to say, God, I know I've messed up. God, I know something's wrong. Take it out of my life. And you know what? He's just walking in and toward in you, just waiting to embrace you. That's all he is waiting for. That's what he wanted. He just wanted to be with him. He had a relationship with him. That's what he wants from each and every one of us. He just wants a relationship with us. He just wants to love us. 
he had restoration on his mind immediately after Adam and Eve got the start. You know, immediately after they sinned and after they had the consequences in their life, it says that Adam named the woman Eve. Eve means life giver. And how prophetic Adam was when he spoke that over his wife. She's a life giver. See, he could have called her all kinds of other names. Could have called her all kinds of other names. But he said, instead he spoke life into her life. And he said, she is the life giver. You know, we have Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve. We have all kinds of Eves in our life. Eve always comes before something good, you know. It's the pre before something good. He called her life giver. And how prophetic that was considering that her seed would go on to bring forth the answer for their sin. The giver of life, Jesus himself. God had a plan from the minute they messed up for restoration so that we could once again walk with him in the garden. Once again, walk with him in our own prayer time, in our own life, and talk to him and commune with him again. That's how much he loves us. In Romans 5, 18 through 21, it says, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. No matter how much you've messed up in life, no matter how much you've run from God, the more you've done it, the more grace abounds for you. Because that's how He is. He loves you. And he wants to be with you. The more sin in your life, the more grace abounds. The more forgiveness he gives. Now, I'm saying once you're saved, you can just go walk in sin all day long, every day. No. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that no matter what you've done today, God can set you free. No matter what you've done in your life, God will forgive you. He's faithful and just to do all of these things. Romans 6, 14 through 16, it says, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. There's a freedom that happens once we accept Jesus. And well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you've become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. I don't know about you, but I want to be righteous. I want to serve God all of my days and do what's right. God has always had the best intentions from the beginning of time for each and every one of us. The servant told Eve they would die and they would they would be like they would not die and they would be like God. Just the opposite was true. They did die. And yes, though they were like God, knowing good and evil, they were never like God. See, God doesn't make excuses. He makes a way out. 
Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, I'm just going to paraphrase this. The enemy has always wanted to exalt himself above God. It says he's always wanted to put his throne above God's throne. He's always wanted to be greater than God himself. He's always wanted to exalt himself. That's why he was kicked out of heaven. And the road that he goes down leads to a pit of death. He wanted to take Adam and Eve with him on the same road and the same journey he was going on. He's always thought he could be God. He's always thought he could win. And even when he was thrown out in front of all the angels, in front of everybody in the heavenlies, he was cast down to earth. He still thinks to this day that he can exalt his throne above God. And he's tried everything in his power. But the deal is we know the end of the story. We know what the end result is. The end result is he'll be cast into a pit forever and ever. I don't want to be cast in that pit. I want to exalt God among everyone else. See, here's the difference between the enemy and and those who love God. Those who hate God exalt themselves above him and think that he doesn't matter. Think that his ways and his precepts don't matter. That's what the true spirit of the Antichrist is. But those who love God exalt him above all. They worship him above all. They put him in every area of their life above all. In 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, it says, For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So if all who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. If you want to be like God, worship Him. If you want to be transformed in His glorious image, put Him first in your life. Magnify Him beyond all. See, that's what Adam and Eve didn't get. If they'd have just continued to put him first, they'd have, been, they'd have continued to be more and more like him. He created them in his image. They were already like him. <coughs> the problem is they listened to a devil who told them, you aren't, you aren't like God, but I'll make you like him. Isn't that how the devil works? You're not like God, but I'll make, him, I'll make you like him. If you do this, I'll make you like. They were created in his image. They were already like him. In every way he had created them. Just like him. But they believed a lie. That's what we do in our own lives. We believe a lie. We we believe that we're not worthy. We believe that there's nothing that can set us free. We believe that if we keep the shame locked in a closet, it's okay. Let me tell you what I know about shame. I'm going to give you the one, two, threes of shame. First of all, at one point in our lives, we all have it. Number two, it's the most human primitive emotion that you can experience. It starts in the garden. And number three, it's an intensely painful feeling that we are unworthy of love And we're unworthy of belonging. That's what shame is. It says you're not worthy of love. 
It says you're not worthy to be a part. It says you're not worthy for God's grace. That's what shame does for your life. Let me give you three things that feed shame. Secrecy. Silence. And judgment. Worst thing you can do with shame is lock it up inside of you. And say, well, this happened to me. I can't move forward. Or this happened to me. I can't go forward. It is a spirit that will lock you up and will eat you up from the inside out. It cannot, shame cannot exist in empathy and shame cannot exist out in the open. Something bad happens to you, we all, it's human nature to say, well, nobody needs to know about that. Nobody needs to pray with me about that. I, don't, I just need to keep that locked up. As long as you keep it locked up on the inside of you, it will stay there forevermore. And it will continue to eat on you. It will continue to bother you. It will continue to manifest in you as long as you allow it to stay inside of you. But once you let shame out the door, there goes fear. There goes hiding from God. There goes all the things that are keeping you from a right relationship with Him. But you have to be able to say, you know what? I messed up. Or you have to say, you know what? Somebody else messed up and did something to me. When I was just a little girl or a little boy, they did something. I can't forgive them. And, and you keep it locked up and it stays there. And you will never be worthy to receive God's grace as long as you leave it there. Because it will continue to eat on you. Because shame says you have to hide. Shame says you have to be afraid. Shame says that you have to fear. That's what shame does to you. It is a spirit that talks to you. And it says you're not worthy of his grace. You're not worthy of his freedom. You're not worthy of his spirit. to let it out. Stand with me today. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come at this time. This is a beautiful, cold morning in southeast Texas. This is about as cool as it gets. It'll be 90 degrees in a few weeks. But what, what better time than the cool of the morning to let God do something for you. He's walking in this altar today asking, where are you? That's the question he's asking today. And we can do one of two things. We can, we can be afraid, we can fear, we can, we can keep it inside of us forevermore. Or we can walk down to this altar and we can say, God, I'm right here. I'm messed up. I want to let go of some stuff today. Or maybe, maybe you don't have shame. Maybe you don't have some, one of those things in your life. Maybe you just need healing in your body today. God's here for that today too. Because where His Spirit is, there's freedom. And freedom doesn't just have boundaries that consist of your shame or your fear 
or, or the sin in your life. Freedom is in every area of your life. It is healing. He paid the price for everything. The Isaiah 53, it says, by his stripes, we are healed. He took those stripes just for you to heal you today. Maybe you got some physical things going in your body. But God today wants to touch you. He is in this altar saying, where are you?